message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. We are going to be taking a look at Psalm 22 as we continue our, our series in the Psalms for the summer. But before we jump into Psalm 22, I wanted to take a look at the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. So obviously Jesus' first words, not first words, but some of Jesus' words on the cross are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first lines of Psalm 22. So as we explore in the gospels, what I hope to do is to give us a more full and robust understanding, not only of Jesus' words from the cross, but of Psalm 22 as well. So for, for reasons that I hope will be obvious as we look at this, we'll first look at Matthew chapter 27. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. We'll start in Matthew 27, 27. Um, if you don't, you can just listen. So then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour is going to be about noon and the ninth hour is going to be about three o'clock just for reference. And then at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the other said, well, wait and see whether Elijah come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And jump ahead a little bit. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And they said, truly, this was the son of God. We'll jump over to Mark chapter 15. Mark is going to give us a pretty similar account. Each of the gospel writers is going to give us a slightly different account, not only of the events around, but of of the things that Jesus said. None of them records all of the things that Jesus said from the cross, but they record things that they thought were particularly meaningful. Now, Matthew and Mark both record this this Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Luke and John don't give us that. I think part of the reason is that, that Matthew and Mark, but particularly Matthew, writing to a distinctly Jewish audience, and he would have had an understanding that they would have recognized those words, and those words would have been very meaningful to them, and that they would have understood what Jesus was pointing to when he said those words. So, <clears throat> pardon me, we'll read briefly from Mark chapter 15, verse 24 and 25. And when they... Um, 
uh, sorry, and they crucified him and divided his, uh, sorry, I'm gonna, they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. So Mark tells us that it's the third hour, meaning about 9 a.m. when they crucified him. At 9 a.m. approximately, he's crucified. Um, at noon, darkness covers the land. And at three o'clock, when the darkness leaves the land, is when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these details will become important as we get over to Psalm 22. So just keep those in mind. Let me flip over to Mark chapter 23, because Mark gives us a little bit of a different emphasis here in Mark chapter 3, verses 44 through 46. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until about the ninth hour. Again, so darkness at noon, and then and then the, the darkness passes about three. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and then Jesus called out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Now the curtain of the temple that was torn in two was massive. It took... Uh, approximately 300 priests to take down the curtain. So I don't think that if everybody in this room got together, we could have taken down the curtains from the temple. It was a massive curtain. For something like this to be ripped into was a startling act. It was certainly a miracle that attended the crucifixion of Christ. Now John's going to give us one little bit of different emphasis here that's going to be important. So in John chapter 19, we'll start in verse 17. And he says, and when he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which is Psalm 22, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Then um, we read, you heard the reading this morning. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, um, after he'd received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed and he gave up his spirit. So there are a couple of details that I want to look at before we get to Psalm 22. One of them is that in John, he gives us this detail that, that the others don't. The others said, well, the soldiers cast, divide their, divided his garments and they cast lots for his clothing. John says they cast lots specifically because he was wearing a seamless, seamless tunic. <clears throat> and a seamless tunic was a very valuable piece of clothing. It would have been sort of the equivalent of like an Armani suit or something. I mean, it was, it was really expensive and the craftsmanship that, that went into that would have been great. So it was very valuable. They didn't want to just tear it up. So they cast lots to divide it among themselves. Now, that might seem like an inconsequential detail, but everybody there would have known that there was somebody in that crowd who also had a seamless tunic. Everybody would have known 
Who else wore a seamless tunic? The high priest. The high priest always wore a seamless tunic during Passover. And so what John is telling us there is that not only is he king, the inscription above him reads king of the Jews. They meant to mock him, but he really was king of the Jews. But not only is he king of the Jews, he is acting as a high priest and not only as a high priest, but as the sacrificial victim as well. So these were details that, that the, the gospel writers expected their readers to, to catch on to. Sometimes we miss those things. The other thing that I think that I want to, to look at is the darkness before we jump into Psalm 22. Because the darkness is significant. Some people have said, oh, well, that's just a myth or it's a legend. But there are actually three ancient writers that chronicle this darkness in the ancient world for us. There was a Greek historian by the name of Thalos, and he was an eyewitness to the, the darkness. And he, he chronicles it in his history because it was such a remarkable event that, that people had been talking about it for decades. And he says that it was an exceedingly great solar eclipse. There was another Greek historian who also was chronicling, his, his chronicles were from the fall of Troy to his present day, and he was a Greek historian named Phlegon. He says this, I didn't want to mess up his words, so he says, in the fourth year, however, of Olympiad 202, which would have been the same year Jesus was crucified, but in the Greek calendar, an eclipse of the sun happened, greater and more excellent than any that had happened before it. At the sixth hour, day turned into dark night, so that the stars were seen in the sky, and an earthquake in Bithynia toppled many buildings in the city of Nicaea. So that's his account of that. But he was recording it, and both of these men had said, well, it was an exceedingly great solar eclipse. But if you go to nasa.com, you can find out that actually the longest solar eclipse that ever lasted was 12 minutes and 23 seconds. But there was another ancient historian by the name of Julius Africanus. He was obviously a Roman, but he's writing, and he, he references this because, again, it was an event that people had talked about for, I mean, for decades they were talking about that time where the sky went dark at noon for three hours. But Julius Africanus says, well, it couldn't have been a solar eclipse, and the reason it can't have been a solar eclipse was because there was a full moon. And we know he's right. There was a full moon. There was always a full moon at Passover. Passover was always celebrated during a full moon. And so it couldn't have been a solar eclipse. What was it? It was, it was the darkness that was spiritually significant because Jesus is crucified about nine at noon. The world goes dark. And people all over the world are, are there. I mean, this is something that is unusual. Some writers are saying, well, it's solar eclipse. Well, it can't be a solar eclipse. And the reason it can't be a solar eclipse is because for there to be a full moon, the full light of the sun has to be shining on the moon. So the earth can't be between the sun and the moon. Um, and so therefore you can't have a solar eclipse. You could have a lunar eclipse, but not a solar eclipse. Um, that, that may seem inconsequential, but, but history always validates the miraculous events of Scripture. So this, um, this darkness is over the land, and, and at the end of the darkness, the gospel writers record for us that, that Jesus begins saying this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I have a strong conviction that he is beginning Psalm 22. And, and, and sometimes we, we miss that. 
But people who sing psalms regularly and sing songs regularly, those songs kind of strike deep into you. You don't, you don't forget songs that, you, that you've sung, especially if they're songs that have been a part of your community. There's all kinds of um, instances of people throughout history who have memorized the entire Psalter. Uh, uh, Martin Luther was known for having memorized the Psalter. Uh, William Wallace, uh, the, um, the Scots freedom fighter, had memorized it. Columbus actually was known to sing, sing psalms with his men on board ship, and they sang them so regularly that just by singing them, they had them all memorized. And if you um, have like a little pocket New Testament, usually the pocket New Testament comes with not just the New Testament, but also the book of Psalms, because the Psalms were a way that people could sing and praise and express a full range of human emotion to God. And, and so if you hear the lyrics of a song starting to be sung, you can usually kind of jump in on that. And, and I'll, I'll need your help for this because it, it always works, right? So if I were to say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you say... Right, the itsy bitsy spider went up the. Gosh, right, it's so easy. So, and you could do it even a little bit more theologically. If I say, "Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that." Right, I once was lost. Yeah, so um, if I were to say Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine, never learned to read or write so well, but he. I kind of got to have some people here. Come on. Oh, I always had some mighty fine wine, and I helped him drink his wine. I was just testing you. This song's been popular for 50 years. I don't know why everybody wasn't jumping on that. But you, you'll hear a song. In fact, if my wife says that she needs ice, like in my head, I'm like, ice, ice, baby. So there's certain songs, you know, that you just they, they just, they stick with you. But this would have been particularly true in a religious community that sang these songs regularly. And so picture if, with me, if, if you will, you're, you're in this, this moment there with Jesus as he is being crucified. The man up on the cross, you have put your hopes, your dreams, um, your faith, your trust into this man. You have said, as Mary had said, you know, he is the resurrection and the life. And there he is, bleeding out on the cross. And, and, and he's been up there for three hours, and then the world goes dark as God is pouring out his full wrath for our sin on Jesus. But then three hours later, the light starts to come back into the world. And, and, and just imagine that as that's happening, you're, you're hearing this. Right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Yet I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Well, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. Yea, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near. And there is none to help. For bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a roaring and raving lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's 
melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A band of evildoers surrounds me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, for you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All ye offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all ye offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not turned his face away, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied, and all who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. For all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. The prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. And, and before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord of the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It is finished to tell the sty. Because from the first words as the sun rises to the last, this is Jesus' song on the cross. This is not a man asking a question. It's not asking a question. And this is not a man confused about where he is or, or not understanding why God is doing. But this is a man who is, is perfectly aware that he is taking the full wrath of God for our sin. And as he begins to sing this song, he's not just saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as much as he is saying that, he is saying, I rule the nations. At some point, all the prosperous of the earth will, who, will, will eat and worship all the families of the nations will turn and remember me. That's what he's saying from the cross. And the remarkable thing is, is that at that particular moment in history, everybody was singing that song. You had guys mocking Jesus, making mouths at him. Do you ever make mouths like at your siblings just to irritate them? I mean, they're making mouths at him. You know, they, they didn't know they were singing the song. They're singing the song. You've got guys dividing his garments up and casting lots for his clothes. They didn't know they were part of the song. They're, they're part of the song. You have men driving nails into his hands and his feet, and they may not have wanted to be a part of the song, at least not a part of the song in that way, and yet there they were. They're a part of the song. If centurions standing off to the side, they see everything that has transpired. They see the, the miracles that are attendant, the sky going dark. They see the, the earthquakes. Um, they see the sun coming back. They, they hear Jesus proclaiming with a loud voice. And they say, surely this was the son of God. 
And they, they didn't know they're part of the song. They're, they're, they're off to the side singing a chorus. They didn't even know. C.S. Lewis once said that everyone serves the Lord, but it makes a big difference whether you serve like Judas or you serve like John. And I might tweak that to say that it makes a big difference whether you sing like Judas or you sing like John. But the fact is, is that, that everyone here in that moment, whether they knew it or not, were engaged with Psalm 22. The people of God had been for a thousand years singing that song. David wrote that song a thousand years prior. At the beginning of it, it says that it was set to the tune of Doe of, a dawn, Doe, the Doe of the Dawn. I wish I knew that tune. I would have, I would have, would have sung it in that tune. But for a thousand years, the people of God had been singing that song. And, and I think it must have been remarkable for them to, to hear Jesus' words on the cross. And although the, the scene would have been traumatic and, and they would have been having trouble, I think, coming to terms with all that was going on, nonetheless, that should have cued them. Oh, my goodness. He, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm, I'm watching prophecy come to life before my eyes. I can't help but think that some of the scribes and the Pharisees that were there were thinking, what have we done? The crucifixion was a public spectacle to, to humiliate somebody, and that's what they were, were hoping to do. And then all of a sudden, they're like, I just said, if he delights in him, let him deliver him. That's Psalm 22. I didn't mean to sing Psalm 22 with him. How did I get caught up in this? These, these fools just cast lots for his clothes. He's got a seamless garment like the high priest. It's not a wonder that they said to the, uh, the, the Roman authorities, listen, put a guard on this guy's tomb. We don't think he's going to raise again, but oh my goodness, we just saw the thousand years of prophecy come to life before our eyes as everybody around us was singing Psalm 22, whether they knew it or not. And I love this psalm for a number of reasons, but I love where it takes us. I, I am glad that God gives us these opportunities to sing the beginning of Psalm 22 because sometimes I do feel so crushed and burdened down that I like to sing robustly to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not because I've lost faith, but because sometimes the events of life are just so crushing and you know there's a good God there, but you just feel like singing something like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes I know that I am singing the part where I am the ones piercing his hands and his feet because of my sin. But the beautiful thing about this psalm is where it takes us. Too many people have, have looked at Jesus' words on the cross and said, oh, he's, he's, he's crying out because uh, we've got all kinds of theories on how God's abandoned him. But he's not asking that question. He's taking us. He wants to take us somewhere. And where he wants to take us is to seeing that, that he is working out his will in the world, right? That there'll be a generation yet unborn, like maybe 2,000 years later, like us here, proclaiming his righteousness because God rules the world, because Jesus Christ rules the world. <clears throat> and this is, I think, supposed to give us comfort and encouragement. And to see Christ's words on the cross as, as robust. Um, his last words on the cross are, um, into your hands I commit my spirit, which is found in Psalm 31 verse 5. The, the Eastern Orthodox has a tradition that 
when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the sun rises again, that he, he kept quoting on till Psalm 31 verse 5, which says, into your hands I commit my spirit. I don't know that, <clears throat> that that's what happened. We don't, we don't know all that Jesus said on the cross here. But we do know that those who were standing there should have heard what he said and started, oh yeah, this isn't a man asking a question. This is the celestial choir master, and he's starting the song for everyone who has ears to hear. And it should help us place our confident trust in God as we uh, go forward proclaiming his righteousness. This is a beautiful scene. And what God has done, as he says at the end of Psalm 22 here, what he has done cannot be undone. And praise God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for a mighty Savior. We thank you for the promises not only of salvation and restored relationship. We thank you for promises that you will fill the earth with your knowledge. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of who you are for us in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that as your body, that we would be encouraged and strengthened as we see all things working together for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes because you will it to be so. As we go out this week, help us to have a firm assurance and confidence that Jesus Christ is a good Savior who loves us and is working out his will in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.